0: self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague.
1: Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys episode number 82 for Monday the 25th of September 2017. My guest today is Joanna Penn, an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling thriller author, as well as writing non-fiction for authors. She's written 23 books and sold over half a million books in 84 countries and five different languages. Joanna is an indie author and also runs a small press called Curl Up Press with her husband. She spent 13 years as a business IT consultant in large corporates across the globe before becoming a full-time author entrepreneur in September 2011. When we chatted for the podcast I started by asking her as a six-figure author besides sitting on the beach for much of the day what work had she done on that day when we were recording?
2: to be a six-figure author you can't sit on the beach all day and and this is this is the unfortunate thing but of course you know I'm doing what I love so it's fine but I'll tell you what happened today so um because I do fiction and non-fiction I basically split my day into two so I go to a cafe every morning at seven o'clock so I'm usually the first one in as the door opens at seven and I sit down with my laptop and my um uh, noise cancelling headphones and black coffee and for you know sort of two and a half three hours I do my writing session Uh, and that's where I create new words or edit um, the current book Um, so I've been editing my my the first in a new fantasy series um, which is uh, the map book at the moment Uh, so I did that first thing and then I go do some some form of exercise so I went to um, a yoga class today or I go for a walk or something Uh, and then I come back and in the afternoon i tend to do the more business stuff publishing stuff uh, podcasts so this afternoon i've been scheduling podcasts doing blog posts doing marketing type stuff but also i tend to do my non-fiction uh often sort of in the afternoon um but all the thing, the publishing thing so i w- i've been working on um Uh, cover ideas for the map book i'm i've been working with uh, scheduling with a map designer because for fantasy novels you need a map design which is cool uh you know i did things like look at questionnaires for the healthy writer which is my next non-fiction book so essentially the day is really split into sort of working on whatever the work in progress is and then the rest of it is the business side of of the author and also the creative pen.com my website which <laughs> is coming up for nine years and it takes quite a lot of management so as you know websites um, but that's basically what I've done today and as we talk at 7 p.m in the evening so I guess I've done a 12-hour day already. <laughs>
1: And that's the point I wanted to make. How do those hours compare with when you had a day job?
2: Oh, oh, come on, Paul. You're sneaky. You know all this. <laughs> and, and you. all oh, the listeners will be devastated. This is actually something I've been thinking about a lot because somebody emailed me the other day and said, oh, I've heard being a freelance writer is really easy. How can I do it? But without having a blog or any of this other stuff. And I, I, sent, I just deleted that email because I, I was so mad. Okay, so let's just get it out there. It is definitely easier to have a day job where you work for X amount of hours, you come home, you do what you like, and at the weekends you do what you like and you get paid sick leave and holidays and blah, blah, blah. Um, But uh, I love what I do, let's say that, but I pretty much work six, seven days a week um, and I work a lot of hours. Now, I do have a plan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a plan where – and this is, you know, fast forwarding a bit, but when you first start, you have to work really hard. And I mean, I'm a good number of years in now, but, um, you know, I have a plan to kind of cut down things over time as I hire people to help me. So, for example, I have a audio person who does my audio for my podcast, a video person, a virtual assistant. So I'm starting to try and outsource more of the work. Um, but I know a lot of listeners are just starting out and at the beginning, you you really do have to do everything yourself and and that's why like um, my a tip for people would be Try and uh, hone in quite early on on what you like doing and what you don't like doing. So, for example, we're doing this audio only, which is awesome. <laughs> um, and I don't particularly like doing a lot of live video. I just don't. Li- I just don't do live video. Whereas some people build whole platforms on live video. So, you've got to decide early on what do you like doing, what do you what do you not like doing, and then try and make sure that your um, your author career revolves around that.
1: My favourite photo of you, and I'm not a stalker, honestly, is a photo from 2008 where you're holding your book, <laughs> How to Enjoy Your Job. You know the one, don't you? Mm. And, and, and I love that photo. The reason I love it is because we know where you are now and how successful you are now. But I always think, what was Joanna thinking in that photo? She was probably where most of us are now, thinking, I desperately want this book to work. Is that, is that where you were when that photo was taken?
2: Oh, yeah, and it's a classic photo. You're welcome to post it in the show notes. Um, But yes, so so I'm wearing um, a pinstripe suit, I think it's that one. Um, And I'm basically, you know, this is my first book. Yes. So how to enjoy your job or find a new one, which, by the way, everybody is a terrible title and you should um, look at keywords for your title. So it's now you can I rewrote it in 2012 and it's called Career Chain, which is a much better keyword title. But back then, um, you know, like many people, I decided to write a, a book, a nonfiction book, um, in order to change my own life. Uh, as in, I had this real problem, which was I hated my job. Um, I used to implement financial systems into large corporates, uh, and it was, you know, it was it was paid very well, but it was deathly boring and, you know, creatively stilted. But also very you know very tiring because it was hard work you know they don't pay you that much money for for doing nothing so I worked hard on things I didn't care about and it was just yeah it was terrible um so I yeah I I basically was like oh how why am I so unhappy with this when it should be everything I was told by society I should want uh and so I I started listening to Tony Robbins and all that and um wrote this self-help book and of course I thought back then I thought this book is for everybody every. Everyone is going to buy my book. It's going to change everybody's lives, and it's going to be amazing. I paid – this was, you know, 2007, 2008, before the Kindle really was international, before CreateSpace, um, before Print On Demand went mainstream. Uh, So I basically paid for a massive print run, 2,000 books, expecting to shift all of those miraculously because I didn't know anything about marketing. Um, And essentially, I I ended up putting most of those in the landfill. Um, And this is... A cautionary tale. One, do print, but make sure it's print on demand. And two, you have to know about marketing if you want to sell books <laughs> and like try and ship some books. It's much much easier now because those were all in my house in Australia, and uh, it was it was quite depressing. So back then, I, you know, I I basically didn't know anything. And the picture is so good because it captures this light in my eyes, this um, enthusiasm for the book, which. Before, I I understood a lot of the things I didn't know. What do they call that? It's like uninformed optimism, I think. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then you move you move into sort of informed pessimism. And now I'm at sort of informed optimism because, you know, you have to go through this journey. It's like anything. So, yeah, back then I thought that book would change everybody's lives, would change my life. Actually, amusingly, I'll, I'll report this now because we looked at this the other day. So that book, um, when it came, as I said, I probably sold 100 copies um, of that book. Book and you can't get it anymore unless it's secondhand. Um, I don't even have a copy. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, I, I might have somewhere down, buried somewhere, but I tend to move on quite quickly. But yeah, so that book in its original format has kind of, you know, disappeared into history. But I was looking at my because now you can look back at all your your Kindle history. Um, So without the print copies, um, just the eBooks have now made me six thousand dollars, six thousand US dollars since two thousand and eight. So and we're in two thousand and seventeen. So there's a good example of a book that literally made me well cost me thousands at the time, which over you know years has slowly added up to pay for itself and also that book changed my life far more than anybody else's (laughs) and that is a very good reason to write your first
1: book There are a lot of lessons in that, uh, I think, in that story. Um, One of the things that, um, again, inspires me about your story is because you've got so much stuff online now and so many books and so much of a a legacy already since 2008, I I listened to your first podcast before I started my podcast because it fascinates (laughs) me to see where people were and where they get to and how they get there. And um, it, it sounds like it's on the end of a of a phone or something like that
0: it's
2: terrible it's terrible yeah basically yeah so uh, my first podcast it was in 2009 and basically I phoned up this lady on a a landline and (sighs) and put it on speakerphone and held a (laughs) you know a recorder next to the phone so yeah that's exactly what it is but but there is a good lesson there and the same with my first book and all of our first things if you don't start, you can't get better um, and you and you kind of have to make these mistakes. Like if you go on the Wayback Machine and have a look at the creative pen, I mean, it's a terrible website. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible back in 2008, 2009. And yeah, the podcast is terrible, but I haven't taken those episodes down. All my first YouTube videos, which again are terrible, um, you know, because it's one of the great things about putting things online is you see how far you've come. And I think that's so valuable for all of us. You know, like, for example, this, you know, I'm coming up to um, my sixth year as a full-time author entrepreneur. And every year I post my lessons learned and my lessons learned from year six are a lot different to year one. Um, And and these are really important things. So I really recommend blogging or podcasting or any of these things over time. One thing I do regret, um, I know you do your diaries, but I didn't do personal segment on the show for probably four years
1: i love that of- bit on your podcast it's my favorite yeah. bit mm.
2: well it's interesting and and but people say to you that their favorite bit for you is the is the diary in it fact is- there's lots of yeah lots of people aren't even listening to this because they enjoyed your diary and yeah. then switched off.
1: they want, they want um- to hear the pain that's what they want to hear, <laughs> they
2: want to hear the pain. <laughs> but what but what i've learned and what you've obviously learned too is that People connect with people, and if you share your journey, then that's what people find interesting because it helps them. You know, if you just go around going, "Yay, I'm brilliant! Look at all my amazing stuff!" then nobody is interested. You know, they do want to hear the difficult times, and if you can honestly share that, uh, you know that that is helpful.
1: You are a great example, I think, of that uh, saying, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I think it's very easy to, you know, to look at your success now, say a six figure author, you know, she's, it's really easy for her. Um, but I think it's really important for people to understand at the beginning of their careers that it absolutely wasn't easy for you and you've had to go along the same steps that we're all having to tread along now. So what I'm interested in though is, is you must have had those well, I assume it was a couple of years, when the earnings, frankly, were fairly paltry. Did you go through all that?
2: Oh, absolutely. And in fact, at the end of 2016, I posted a graph on my site, um, the Creative Pen, which actually showed, um, you know, like a bar graph of the last 10 years of earnings. And the first, I think the first, well, the first year, two years certainly are negative, below the line. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's one of those kind of classic, um, not completely hockey stick, but certainly in the last two years, it's sort of doubled. And if you know more about compounding, you know, you realize that the beginning is very, very slow. And then as the snowball gets bigger, it, it gets bigger and the income kind of gets bigger exponentially because of what you're doing now. And that's related to. You know, the number of books you have, the amount of traffic you have. I mean, you, you know, with a podcast or with a blog or with, with a single book, if, if you put out one podcast episode, you don't get an audience. If you put out 10, you probably won't get an audience. If you, if you put out 30 episodes, then you're starting to get, get an audience. And, and so these are the types of things you have to remember. So yeah, the income probably took. Well, I know it took because I started in like 2007-ish, started the blog 2008, left my job September 2011. So it was three years, three and a half years part-time. Well, not part-time. I was working um, full-time for most of that. And then I went to four days a week And th- before I left my job. And then still, it took me another – I overtook my income in 2015. So it was another four years Uh, before I actually matched and then overtook my day job income so I think I see the biggest thing with people who are just starting out is that they can't see that far and it is very hard to see that far I mean who can see what's going to happen in like five years time but I think the key is the daily practice. And the thing is, if you don't enjoy coming back to what you enjoy, you know, if you don't enjoy the process of creation, of writing, publishing, doing book marketing, which you have to do, whether you're traditionally published or indie, then you won't make it five years. It's like with podcasting, right? If you don't enjoy your first 10 episodes, you're not going to carry on. So I think that's the key. You try and think, okay, what am I building where do i want to be in five years time what will get me there so if you want to be um and this is something i've thought about a lot like if you want to be stephen king then write a lot of books and don't set up a website for writers <laughs> <laughs> which is like what i've done what you've done um you know if you want to uh, if you want to help people as well as be stephen king then do what you and i are doing which is have two two different sides to our author um, one which is fiction one which is non-fiction and the non-fiction side lends itself to podcasting blogging and all the rest so I think you have to kind of just come up with what do you enjoy and then if you keep doing this thing you enjoy for five years where will you be and it you know it's like any business if, if you say to anyone who starts a business how long did it take you to get into profit, it's usually a couple of years. And then when you know, if you say, okay, how long before you made good money, it's often five to ten years before people are stable in their career.
1: What are the things that made you want to give up? You must have had many of them.
2: Uh no. I actually can say that truthfully, um because I compare it to my previous life. Um I gave up. Basically, I left university. I, I did theology um, and I went straight into a job um, where I worked in consulting. And on day one, they put me in this group and I started implementing systems, um, SAP, which is a German piece of software. I, I've and
1: trained on it years ago In the go. BBC. It was a nightmare training session. And I never yeah. touched it ever again, thank God.
2: Exactly. So I had to touch it for 13 years. And yeah, in that 13 years, I left that job over and over again. I mean, the longest I was ever at one place was sort of two and a half years. And I kept leaving and I went traveling and I tried other things. I started a scuba diving company. I um, tried property investment. I, you know, I tried so many things to get out of that world. So I know what giving up is and I know what being miserable is. Um, And that's why I wrote The career change because I couldn't keep giving up over and over again. So with this career, with writing, I haven't given up. There's nothing, there has been no moment when I have wanted to give up the writing and the publishing. I certainly on many days feel like giving up Email <laughs> and Facebook and advertising and some of the other, you know, um, speaking. I know you've, you've been to one of my events. Like I, I have a love hate relationship with speaking um, because I'm an introvert and it's so exhausting to me. And yet it's also rewarding for people who, who come and, and I can help people. So I think, you, you know, this, I do want to give up aspects of what I do, but I love so much of what i do um you know for example like vellum and i know you've got a you've got a thing about vellum on pc on your site which i just tweeted which is awesome but i'm on mac and vellum for book formatting i love doing it myself so i'm not going to give that up you know so there are lots of things that i i i want to change about the business side of of being an author but the, the the basic heart of it, the writing books, the publishing books, the connecting with readers, uh, I've actually never wanted to give that up.
1: What do you think created uh, traction in your career? And for this, I, I, can you talk about the podcast and, and the books? When did you feel like you weren't just speaking to an empty room?
2: I called it howling into the wind. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, for the the first six to nine months of my blog and my podcast, it really was howling into the wind. Um, The podcast especially, because you are literally – talking uh, you know with people and it's almost embarrassing because you're asking them to come on your show and if you don't have an audience it's, it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> um but luckily i didn't get embarrassed easily back then um i i think i feel it a lot more now actually um i think there's more of a hierarchy of podcasters there wasn't so much in 2009 um but in terms of traction i do think it's just persistence i mean the, the truth is i have never had a breakout book I've never, you know, I'm not well known. You know, I might be in a tiny corner of the internet. You know, if some people listening have heard of me, it's because there's a tiny corner of the internet where some people know who I am. But, you know, I'm not... I don't feel like there has been anything that has spiked my profile or what I do or or anything. What I've have done is since two thousand and six I've pretty much written words every almost every day um I've podcasted you know my one like three 300- hundred 20 odd episodes of of my podcast. I've blogged between three and five articles a week on the creative pen since December, 2008. I've, I've scheduled Twitter for, or since 2009, I think YouTube videos since 2009. I I've basically been consistent and productive, I guess, um, and tried to be helpful. I think that's also really important, especially for nonfiction. So The traction is that snowball effect again and and the income again is is multiple streams of very tiny income you know my first affiliate payment from amazon was like one dollar thirty seven or something
1: (laughs) i (laughs) mean it was
2: it was pretty bad (laughs) they wouldn't wouldn't even have paid that because you know they don't pay out that amount of money but but this is the thing so traction to me has come from consistency over time for years and it's not sexy Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is why You have to enjoy what you
1: do. And what about the fiction and the non-fiction? Is it easier to sell non-fiction? I I found it easier to sell non-fiction because it's just keyword-based, as far as I can see.
2: Yes, it's a very good point. Um, Non-fiction is easier to sell because of keywords, but um, it is often not evergreen so Mm -hmm. I see that some of your posts for example you're um, using WordPress for business you I mean you know that WordPress changes all the time or people who have like oh you have a Facebook thing too Facebook changes all the time drives me
1: spare Joanna and that's one of the big (laughs) rants on my diary is I have a love hate with Facebook it changes every two minutes and I hate that book and you know it's the book I've sold most of
2: Well, and this is the problem. So I've just um, released the third edition of How to Market a Book, which um, the last edition was 2014. It's now 2017. And I was just, I thought it would take me two weeks to (laughs) to, to rewrite that. It took me two months Mm -hmm. because so much has changed. So yes, that book made me good amounts of money last month. But I see that that version has a shelf life of two to three years. And as you've said, more technical books have an even shorter shelf life so but fiction fiction is magic okay so yes maybe you haven't made as so much money on your secret bunker or the grid or or whatever but um you know and i haven't made so much money on um you know risen gods but what we that story we don't have to rewrite that story <laughs> thankfully and that that can make us money for the whole of our lives and 70 years after we die and what what's exciting about that is um dan brown's got another book out this year which is great for me because i write books in a dan brown genre and sort of religious conspiracy thriller um but he wrote he only puts a book out every like four years so it's a real pain and then um you know we're seeing the cycles of of types of fiction so even if your type of fiction goes out of fashion for a bit it'll come back and talking about long-term careers Anne rice who wrote interview with a vampire she's she i remember hearing her talk about this she said she's made a lot of money on vampires three times in her career Mm. (laughs) as everyone says oh vampires are over and there's no more vampires and then back they come and then they go away again and then back they come and so this is what's the difference between fiction and non-fiction is so important so for me it's more like non-fiction is the cash flow Um, it can make you more money more quickly but then it will disappear and fiction is more like an evergreen uh, intellectual property asset that you can leverage over time so for example turning older books into screenplays you can um, you know we don't even know what's coming I mean what if uh, you know the VR world and AR opens up new opportunities for our stories I mean there's more and more um, people announcing every day like Disney the Disney channel you know Disney have announced a new streaming service we've got Netflix Amazon all these different channels we can approach now for ways of using our stories and our nonfiction. yes might sell more briefly but then it disappears over time and I think you will probably you know wind back the number of technical books you have because it's so annoying to update them, right?
1: I've already made that decision, actually. So I've put it very clearly. I did actually take them off sale. And then I thought, when I was telling people how many books I'd written, I thought, well, I actually want to claim those books. So what I've done very clearly is said when it's last updated, and I'm just going to leave them on because you don't take an old book out of the library. So um, I leave them on and just be very transparent about when it was last updated. uh, And eventually they'll just fall by the wayside. But I'm putting my eggs in the WordPress And what was the other one? I'm going to do. Oh, Mailchimp. Mailchimp books are selling really well at the moment, actually, Mm. Um, because they don't change so much. So I'm going to go for the ones that don't change much. But I am, I think, officially getting rid of Facebook now because I it's driving me spare. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for precisely the reasons you outlined just there
2: yeah and also you you're a website guy so you understand you know wordpress is a good fit for you um and i think yeah the social media stuff is really annoying um and this is the thing so uh, another tip for not writing nonfiction. so that's why i wrote the successful author mindset because i wanted to write an evergreen nonfiction. <laughs> And I thought, you know, psychology. Yeah, that's a good one. And I'm I'm going to write the healthy writer, which I've, I've mentioned. We're going to do. Um, I'm hoping that things around health won't change too much. And then um, I'm going to do one on the shadow, like writing the darker side of of life, um, and that will also be more of a psychology. Uh, thing so of course there are subcategories of of nonfiction that don't date so um, hist- history books you know lots of there's lots of different things but I do think that the the other thing I guess with with uh, nonfiction actually is that you change the author changes and your perspective on some of these things will change so even if technically or you know historically it's still the same you know, you might want to put a different spin on your book. So that's why I think this this fiction, nonfiction is like a double-edged sword. So if you can do both, do both.
1: (laughs) Do you ever get the uh, temptation to tinker with the first books that you wrote? Because part of this journey, of course, is that you improve your writing, you get better at it. One of the curses of self-publishing, of course, is that we can easily do that and have a little fiddle with the early books.
2: Uh, yeah, well, as I said, I rewrote How to Enjoy Your Job in 2012. So it's now a uh, career change. What What is also interesting is when I wrote it originally in 2006, 2007, I actually quoted Donald Trump.
1: Oh, dear. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So, I actually updated that this year to remove that quote. <laughs> this is not a political show, but hopefully that will give some indication um, but yeah, so I mean stuff like that changes doesn't it i mean who who would have known so so um so i did I have tinkered with that. I have actually considered tinkering it with it again um for stone of fire i stone of fire. My first novel was actually called Pentecost, my second, Prophecy, and then Exodus, which are, because like, I did theology, um, but I'm not a Christian, um, that, you know, I write a lot of Christian history and um, what some call myth, others call truth. Um, so I, you know, those books had Pentecost, Prophecy, Exodus, are very actually religious titles. So I changed them, um, Stone of Fire, Crypt of Bone, Ark of Blood, in 2014, I think it was, Um, we covered them retitled them and also cleaned up a bit of the um the writing in stone of fire so i also tinkered with that and but it's funny when i look at it i do just go oh goodness it would be such a big job to rewrite it completely um and and the other thing to remember and i think this is the key whenever i think oh i should rewrite stone of fire because i can do a better job i go on amazon and it's got over 500 reviews, 4.2 star average or something like that. And some of those reviews are very new um, and it's permanently free. So, it, you know, I shouldn't rewrite it because readers are still enjoying it, even though, as you say, I've become a better writer and we all do with practice. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think you have to move on. But the other key with fiction, I think, is starting a new series so that people can come in on book one of a new series and then go back and read your older stuff if if they
1: want. One of the things I got caught out with is I, I've tended to write in trilogies. And um, I found with trilogies that you can only really promote the first book. And this is what I was kind of alluding to about rewriting the first books. So that if the first book is the worst book, but it's always the book that you have to market in the series... It, it can become a bit of an albatross if it's not a great book. And um, so did you ever get caught with the serious thing that you could, you know, you, you've got to start one, but one. Yours are standalone though, aren't they, I think?
2: Well, you can read them standalone, but I have nine books in the Arcane series. And, and what I'm about to do, the next book I write is going to be a spin-off. Um I'm calling it United States of arcane um so that will be related but the main character and the main character was in the other books but um you know it's slightly different so i'm gonna almost link the two but restart that series and then also um day of the vikings which is in the arcane series also features a character who's in my london psychic series so what you can do with writing Uh, you know, worrying about that first book is write more books that tie together and then you can promote different books in the series or in your catalog that don't necessarily link, um, you know, or do link or don't link to, to your other books. So I don't think you, yes, yes, you do need to promote the first book in a trilogy. But if you have more books, you can promote the first book of the second trilogy or whatever else you want.
1: Well, I've I've gone for um, I've just moved into thrillers, so I've done a trilogy. I can't stop with the blasted trilogies, and then uh, I, I've just done. I'm just finishing my third standalone because I wanted some marketing um, permutations. Uh, that, that's really what I was after. I didn't feel that I had them with the with the box sets. Um, how, how would you approach that?
2: i've actually found the standalones um so risen gods is a standalone dark fantasy set in new zealand um i'm not sure because it's you know whether it's set in new zealand is the thing that's putting people (laughs) off but i mean it's a great book and it just doesn't sell well although what we did actually we did rejuvenate the sales quite a bit by changing the cover to more of an urban fantasy feel and putting it in kdp select um which i'm wide with most of my other books but we put that in select and made it dark fantasy and that helped with the standalone issue um but i certainly find that series are easier to market i think partly because of our binge culture you know um You know, people are binging Game of Thrones. Well, no, they're not binging Game of Thrones right now because it is coming out. But I will be binging Game of Thrones as soon as it is released in the UK. So, you know, this sort of binge culture means that people often want a lot of books at the same time. Um, So, yeah, I've certainly found it easier to market. And and I think something like 51 percent of my book sales income last year was from box sets. Um, and the standalones are, are pretty pathetic. So I can see what you're doing in a way, but I you know my personal experience is that the the trilogies or the the series sell better.
1: Well the three books are going as a box set too. So uh, yes, I listen mm. to everything you say about box sets. So they they're getting box set it up as soon as the third one's out. Um and uh, it's interesting I just um had I had my best month ever recently which was not very good. So don't get excited about it. <laughs> but it was it was still, you know, Fairly disappointing. It paid it paid for a trip to Spain. It was it, so it was you know, it was like oh that's that,
2: amazing. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah.
1: But I thought but I need to replicate it. You know, I just it was a one off, unfortunately. But um I, I got excited because I had a lot of reads for the first time. I'd gone exclusive and I had a lot of reads. And I thought, Oh, maybe exclusive is the way to go. And um I hear you every week saying, you know, go wide, go wide, go wide and I'm actually I've decided I'm a wide guy now. Mm. Um I, I um, I don't like being narrow because it hasn't done anything for me uh, going narrow and I think like you I just agree with the concept of wide and you said something really good on this week's podcast well you always do but this week this I picked out was you would just say we need to support people like Kobo and draft the digital to help their businesses flourish and if ever there was a good reason for going wide I think that's it.
2: Yeah, and I know it's really hard. This is the long term thing again. Um, and most people, obviously, if you're worried about cash flow and writing is your only form of income, then it can be tempting to just throw everything into KDP Select. Um, and I do say, you know, if you have fewer than three books, then it's worth staying in Select until you you're ready to go wide, because it's much easier to go wide with more books. Um, but yeah, if you fast forward in five years' time, if every author chooses to publish on Amazon only. If every reader chooses to buy from Amazon only, our ecosystem will be kind of devastated and Amazon can change the rules however they like, as they do every month with the KDP payout um, and so yeah I think it's about what is the future that you're creating or that we're creating as a group um, and you know we we I think it's I think now you know there are five big publishers in the world like massive mega conglomerates uh, and then the sixth biggest publisher right now is self-published authors so collectively we equal one of the big six um, and you know that's interesting so we have a lot of power and well we have power collectively (laughs) Um, not individually and so but so often we make decisions individually based on short-term income but if you think long-term income a better ecosystem is so important and I can tell people you know being slightly ahead of possibly some listeners is that the more books you have the more of an ecosystem you have yourself, the better you will do on sites like Kobo um, and iBooks. And obviously, if you go to Draft2Digital, drive to get to Google Play, you know, and the more the internet rolls out around the world, the more readers we're going to have, um, you know, really fast forwarding to sort of micropayments, blockchain, the future of technology and finance you know we're looking wide we're looking at disruption in these con- controlled businesses so yeah i i am a i'm a wide girl as such but <laughs> <laughs> like you're a wide guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you mentioned i didn't realize you you'd done property investments in the past i know you've done the scuba diving and the 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 australia thing and had a boat or something like that out there um and this is a question that i put to joseph alexander uh, and i said to him about you know are you an entrepreneur who happens to write, or are you an author
2: uh well i yeah, I mean it's a good question. I do think that the definition of an entrepreneur is someone who creates value from their ideas, um and that is an author, so I actually think the definition of an author is entrepreneur um it's just that most authors won't embrace the other side of being an entrepreneur which is trying to turn that value into you know into more value mm. <laughs> i know jo- joseph is doing particularly well he's actually going to come on my show in a couple of months time
1: as well it's enough I mean, to make you start the guitar, guitar player isn't it With joseph's oh, success Well,
2: goodness me he's doing i mean and his his model's interesting because he's doing a lot a lot of co-writing and that is a very Co-writing, well, in fact, I think he's more co-publishing or he's turned into more of a publisher. He's not actually necessarily even writing it all. So there, there is a difference um, already uh, in that I do some co-writing, but everything I publish is is my IP. So I share the copyright 50-50 with Risen Gods, with Jay Thorne. Um, you know, I am... A writer, as much as I am a publisher and a marketer and an entrepreneur. So I think, I think if you, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to make WordPress themes for authors. I don't want to, you know, there's lots of things that I won't do that I could do that would be considered entrepreneurial because of the platform I have. And I say no to a lot of uh, entrepreneurial uh ideas that people pitch me because at heart i want to be an author so i could absolutely never write another book mm-hmm. <laughs> and still make money because of of what i've built um but i don't want to do that you know i actually feel and that's why on my podcast you know as you do i share my writing progress um good and bad because i don't think i have any authority in this space unless i am writing and. That's the reason I'm doing it. So if I give up anything, it will be everything else and I will write um, at first. Like if you ask me what I would give up, it would be everything else except writing um, if it came down to it. So at heart, I'm a writer first, an entrepreneur second. But I really like I like money and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that I I've, I like traveling and staying in nice places as opposed to backpackers. Mm -hmm. I got over that 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, You know, I I like having a good life. So to me, the money side is important, and the creative side is important. So that's why I kind of embrace author entrepreneur.
1: What did you learn from the entrepreneurial activities that didn't work out, that you took forward into your later writing life?
2: ah great question and in fact i have a a whole chapter on that in career change (laughs) um career change yeah i have a whole load of um lessons i learned from failed businesses but actually it's interesting because that has that's what has shaped my life now so the big the big um issue with running a scuba diving company let's just um you know not many people listening will run a scuba diving company (laughs) But um, there are a few massive issues, like a boat um, and the price of fuel. Um, so if you if you can, the price of insurance, the price of staff who have to work on your boat and who might just not turn up, um, you know, to to drive the boat, um, customer service, safety. I mean, the insurance, the insurance and the fuel. On a physical business like that. Also, things like the weather in New. Ze- this was in New Zealand. Um, the weather in New Zealand can really scupper your, you know, your business if you've got people booked and then it's a really crappy day. So, I mean, I, what I learned from that business is I do not want a physical business. As in, I don't want to own physical assets like boats. <laughs> I don't want to have employees, staff who can let me down. I don't want to have to work on a specific day. I need freedom. So like, you know, I want to be able to say, I'm sick today, so I'm just gonna lie in bed. Um, I want to be able to be location independent as opposed to tied down to one place. I don't want to have all my capital tied up in the stuff and I don't want to have a business where people can actually die.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, unless, fi- unless it's fictional deaths of course
2: <laughs> yeah fictional deaths are fine but like people people actually i mean i'm i scuba dive for years so you know i'm not it, it's as dangerous as other sports potentially but you know i i just I, it was stressful and you know it, no one's gonna die from reading a book <laughs>
1: Well, if you, don't read, you haven't read my books then. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, this is the thing. But, but, I mean, that taught me so much. And in terms of, I mean, we're so, so lucky. I mean, some people when I hear people moaning about spending money on an editor, I'm like, seriously, you know, get a boat or pay for a tank of fuel when you have to drive two hours out to an island. I mean, the price of fuel that year that we did it was just ridiculous. So if you have to spend $500 to fill up your tank <laughs> – I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. So, yeah, I learned a lot about the failure of of physical business that year, and it didn't last very long, to be fair. Um, But, you know, uh, to be honest, that was also my first marriage. I'm very happily married for the second time now, but my first marriage was a business with my first husband, that scuba diving business, and it broke us as well as everything else. So I mean, that was a hard lesson. If you want to talk about pain, I mean, that was a hard lesson. And yeah, what I learned that year was my value. And the biggest value I I live by, I think, is freedom. For personal value not like societal value or anything but freedom to work on what i want when i want and not have a boss freedom to move around if i want and i've moved countries a lot um you know freedom to create what i want to create help who i want to help uh give my money away when i want and spend it on what i want without you know, and and not have and not have employees this is a big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree with that. As somebody who's managed people in the past, you want as few live human beings in your orbit as possible, I think. Yes, no. I,
2: I mean, I do. I obviously have a load of freelancers I work with and virtual assistants and, you know, I, professional editors and cover design and things. But freelancers are very different to yes. employees. And I think that's really important. So, the, so I have a I have a company, a limited company in the UK, but the only employees are me and my husband. So and just to end the story happily, I we me and my second husband, we've been working together happily for two years now. So um, you can have a business with your spouse or your partner. (laughs) it just has to be the right business and the right person
1: (laughs) must have been nerve-wracking doing it for the second time though
2: oh my goodness it was big time difficult and at some point i'm hoping he'll come on my podcast (laughs) 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 so we can actually talk about it but yes it's very very hard to work together but again i mean what's brilliant is that we can look after each other we go out for lunch sometimes on a weekday uh you know we we take a day off together or you know we have cuddles at work and that's you know you can't we see each other a lot and we're best friends so it's actually awesome um but yeah it was really hard for probably the first six months um but it's well worth it
1: i know this isn't about writing but i must i just want to ask you about the property investment um business uh because i don't know about that can you just briefly tell me what that involved and what you got from that
2: yeah, so um, I p- property being another physical asset. Um, you know, I I had a number of houses in New Zealand and Australia um, before the whole financial crisis, um, where basically we bought property, did it up, and then um, rented it out. So it was meant to be a sort of cash flow business based on having an asset. Um, and what I learned from that was that. You can, you know, rental income, I think, is a very good analogy for the income that we get as authors. What I also learned was the, um, again, the amount of risk and the amount of capital that can be tied up in investment property that I dislike having in a bank. <laughs> like tied up in a bank with a whole load of debt. So, um, and i think i'm very risk averse actually so i i just felt very stressed the whole time about the debt we had um even though there was positive cash flow it just wasn't good you know good for me so um yeah, we also decided that to be successful in property investment, you really need to care about everything. So if people are interested in um, financial independence, I recommend a guy called Mr. Money Moustache. Have you heard of him? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Well, he's got he's got a bit of a cult out there called the Mustachians, And um, I, I, I find him very interesting. But he he's somebody who, you know, he, his thing is very much, you know, w- work out what you need to live on, leave your job and be financially independent, but he loves you know, uh, working on his property. So he loves tinkering and doing a little DIY. I don't like that. My idea of fun actually is sitting with my laptop in the cafe with a black coffee. I am not interested in like finding the cheapest place to find paint or, you know, all this stuff. So again, the lesson here is what I said right at the beginning, which is find what you enjoy and what you actually want to spend your time on. Um, If you like, I know some property investors who 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 make a lot of money and who do incredibly well because they enjoy property. So, you know, they'll spend a long, long time trying to find the perfect property and then adding value to it. Whereas I would far rather spend my time writing books and create a new asset that basically is going to give me not rental income, but sales over and over again for years to come. So there's definitely some similarities, but the, you know, the big difference is I don't have to get a massive loan mm. <laughs> and, and I don't have to have tenants living in it. And I don't have to find cleaners and, oh, there's so many problems. You know, similarly, coming down to the employee business, depending on other people can be a, a right pain. So, again, freedom, freedom from, from those types of things. So, again, you know, see what you enjoy and then how can you wind that into your life?
1: You fairly recently started working with your mum. And that, to a certain extent, it's a new genre for you, isn't it? It must feel like you're starting all over again. What what though do you come to it second time around?
2: Yeah, and again, I mean. Basically, the, the, I'll just, you know, wind it back. So my mum's 70 this year and she she's like me. She's a workaholic or I'm like her. I guess I'm her daughter. Um, she's a workaholic. And the problem with being 70 and a workaholic is people don't want you to work like they want you to like sit around and watch TV or something. And she, she's just been so unhappy because she hasn't found something to do with her great brain. And so and she's an introvert like me, like many authors. And I was like, mum, why don't you write a book or something? you know i enjoy it so um bless her two years ago she started writing and she wrote um a romance and um i was like okay actually this isn't too bad how about we write this together because it wasn't too bad in terms of story but it was pretty bad in terms of the the level of writing mm. <laughs> uh, like we all are at the beginning um so i was like how about we do this together so yeah we started co-writing last year and we're about to put out book three in this new author name. Now, I'm not telling you the author name and I haven't announced it publicly as of August 2017 because I, it's, you know, sweet romance is not like my thrillers. I don't do. <laughs> nice you know nice nice book similar i guess to you like i write thrillers there are people die you know stuff happens um so this i don't want to muddy the algorithms with people who either buy my thrillers or who buy my non-fiction so i've kept it quite quiet and well very quiet and so yeah i've been started starting again so what i'm doing basically is we it's a it's a brand new name we are kdp select with it as i said you know up until three books we'll probably wait till five so when we've got five books we're going to go wide um i have a basic website with an email list sign up all it is though there's no free extra it just says sign up to be notified of the next book so you don't need a free giveaway um we've probably got about 40 people on that email list (laughs) so far very encouraging to hear though yeah, just so everybody knows, um, we are writing in uh, sweet romance, clean, clean and contemporary <laughs> sweet romance, only ever a kiss. Very important if you're writing with your mom. Um, and what else do we have? We have a Facebook page in order to do advertising. And I scheduled, or my VA, scheduled six months of photos. So my mum just gave me six months worth of photos and we scheduled one a day. And then we... We'll do we do ads from that Facebook page because you need a Facebook page in order to do ads. Um, But we don't have any other social media. There's no active. There's no blogging, no podcasting, no, uh, no nothing, basically, except uh, KDP Select and the free days that you have um, and Facebook ads. And we're starting to do Amazon ads as well. So that's pretty much all that author is doing. And yeah, we um, we made $38, I think, the first month, uh, which actually isn't too bad.
1: <laughs> no, that's good. I mean, I mean, they always say you've only got to make the first dollar and then you've just got to replicate it, haven't you? You've just got to do it again.
2: Exactly. And then um, the second month, we actually made an income of around $400. This was on one book, but we spent uh, around $400 on ads. So, you know, we broke even, but the idea there was to try and start getting in the algorithms and that type of thing um and basically we're kind of holding off on really hardcore advertising until we have at least three books and i just got the box set cover designed, so i'm gonna do a box set and we're also writing a christmas um story so we'll have the fourth book out i know it'll be it, like
1: <laughs> slade you'll be like slade bringing out the christmas book every year what?
2: it's interesting in the suite because i don't know much about the sweet the romance niche you know so i've been i've been looking at it and a lot of romance authors write christmas books and the great thing about writing a christmas book is you can promote it
1: every christmas yeah like slade i know it's great (laughs) it's automated income
2: so so those are some of the things we're doing but it has been so hard and it's been so hard not to just say what the name is because, you know, I would like to. But my mum is, my my is actually living the life that many of us want to. So mm. she, she spends her time just coming up with ideas and writing, and then she gives it to me. I do all the editing. I do all the publishing and all the marketing. Yes. <laughs> so this is why I'm not ever going to run a publishing company that's not for books I own, because um, I don't want to work with authors. No. <laughs> one around (laughs) um you know but it's but what can i say i mean i really love helping you know my mum, and as many people listening you know you have older parents you want you'd love to just give them money but they don't want you to give them money so we help them in the way that we can so if you have an older parent or or child or sibling or whatever then um yeah helping our families publish i think is very rewarding
1: My mum had to stop reading one of my thrillers because of the sex scenes in it. She said it didn't feel right reading (laughs) sex scenes written by her son, and they were a bit saucy. I, I, I did get some tuition on this podcast from an erotic fiction writer as to how to do it properly. So I think that's it with me, Mum. She won't be reading my thrillers anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave my mum stopped reading my books ages ago because of I gave her nightmares, and she thought I was going to get killed by neo Nazis after one day in Budapest. <laughs> and I'm like, Mum, if I get so big that I get threats from neo Nazis, you know, that's probably pretty good.
1: <laughs> yes, I should be a bit pinnacle of my career. If yeah. I get threats that's right now i need to talk to you about 20 books to 50k because um i did a little bit of web work for for craig martell uh recently and so i know you're going you're going to 50, 20 books to 50k in, in the uk
2: yes in in london i was going to go to las vegas um but i'm speaking in oregon the week before and i i just think it would be too much but then they announced london so so yeah i think and do you know what's interesting about 20 books to 50k so i feel like you know, I, someone actually said to me, oh, you're, you know, you've been around such a long time. And I'm like, what? What is that about? Like, <laughs> and you know, sure, I started it like early when before self-publishing was trendy. Um, but what's interesting now is this kind of new wave of indies. And I really feel like Craig um, or Craig, I think we have to say Craig. Oh, do we? Must, All right. I'm, yeah. in, I'm
1: interviewing him in a couple of weeks time. Thank you for that. That could have gone yeah, terribly wrong.
2: It's how Americans say Craig. Craig yeah craig it's like craig (laughs) yeah um and michael anderley um you know i think they have a a really interesting uh very empowered view of self-publishing um and i feel like i'm empowered but i also feel like i'm very influenced by how traditional publishers work um and so i'm i uh You know, they did mention maybe speaking and I was like, do you know what? I just I would love to come as a a student Mm. of this new wave. And this is what I think is happening. I think what's so lovely about self-publishing, you know, there are people who haven't heard of Amanda Hocking. And those of us who were back in the day, back in 2008, 2009, Amanda Hocking was the first person to break out as an indie, um, you know, and these things are very exciting. So I think we're in a, a, a stage at the moment in 2017, where being an independent author is actually something that many authors aspire to and actively choose first, as opposed to traditional publishing, and then, oh, I'm not, it's not working, I'll choose indie. Um, so it's, I think it's a fantastic time. Yeah. So I'm going to 20 books to 50k. And obviously, if people don't know, there's a facebook group as we talk now it might have disappeared in the future but um yeah it's interesting time
1: okay i I, i'm aware that our hour is is almost up i've got one last question for you and i'm looking at this picture of you in 2008 and it's next to a picture of you standing by a pile of books in 2017 when it comes to 2027 what are you going to be standing next to? You know, is it going to be a pile of books? Will there be DVDs in there? What, what will it look like? (laughs) DVDs? (laughs) No one's going to know what DVDs are.
2: (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I think the pile of books will be much bigger. So 10 years time, I, I will be, uh, 52. And I have on my wall here. Um, I have a number of things on my wall, but one of them says, create a body of work. I'm proud of 100 books by 50. So, um, and I'm going to count the co-written ones, and, which is good because my mum is like really working hard. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, so I, if I have a, a pile of 100 books and also I'm doing print box sets as well now. So I'm going to I will hopefully by in 10 years time have a pile of books that is as tall as I am. And I'm 166 centimetres. So there you go, five foot six or something. So I, I fully intend to have a, a, a books as tall as me. I mean, I would love like many authors to have tv show film or game some kind of other version of my stories that that is something i'm really aiming for so i'm I'm working with a screenwriter at the moment on the london psychic series you know i i i want to get my stories to people who don't read and i think that the visual medium is only becoming more and more important um uh, yeah so i think that that's definitely what i'm planning uh I don't know. It's, you know, I I think 10 years is too hard. I mean, personally, I'm, you know, I believe in the futurist, positive futurist way. You know, even though the politics right now is difficult, I believe our world will be better. Uh, I think in 10 years time, there will be 4G internet in the whole world. So I fully expect my income to be not so dominated by the US, I expect that to be coming from all over the place, India, Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, Asia, you know, not just us uk australia canada which is where most of us make our money um so i'm excited about that i also think vr i mean if you and i are still podcasting in 10 years time you know we might do this in virtual reality and have people join us live from all over the world i'd certainly if i am podcasting in 10 years which i might be uh then uh you know i i would love to think that i could do it that way i i think the technology will be there um Yeah, so these are some of the things that I'm excited about in the next 10 years. I will just mention on my podcast, The Creative Pen, in November, I'm doing a show about 2027 because it's 10 years this year since the Kindle and the iPhone came out. And so I'm actually doing a whole podcast on what the future will be in 2027. Um, but I can't talk about it now because right by my desk are the books I'm going to read next week <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> on technology and blockchain and all these different technologies that are going to transform
0: uh, our world. So I'm very positive um, about the future. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.